It's great to have you here this morning, to be in God's presence together. Um, in the prayer meeting before the meeting, um, you know, we always talk about what we think is going to happen. And uh, my response was, I think I'm going to make a mess this morning. So are you all right for a messy one? I don't know about you, I don't like playing church. Okay, just me, all right then. Um, I really, uh, it's so easy to go through the motions, isn't it? And, uh, but I just believe um, God wants to, to do something among us now and uh, I'm starting something that will take us through the month of September and, um, well, I just hope it, it blesses you. Um, can anybody remember Tommy Tenney, who's been around on and off? He's a, a, a great author and a man who's seen lots of incredible uh, moves of God around the world. And he, his family, about 300 years ago, built a chapel that's in the grounds of, Ro I was going to say Raywell, no, it's Rowley Manor. And uh, so he loves to come over, and sometimes he doesn't even come to minister, he just comes and uh, to, to hang out and he brought his dad before his dad passed away and, and his mum who looks like Spider-Man's aunt. You know, not in the up-to-date movies, the other, you know, I mean, or Superman's granny, whatever it is. And so sweet. She's like, she's little, off little house in the prairie. She's wonderful. She's an incredible preacher too. And so whenever the airport runs come, if I, if I can do them, I try them, do them. Sometimes Rob Pritchard and others help out, but I try and, because, you know, you get three hours in a car with Tommy Tenney, you'd be dumb not to, right? So I'm like, no, don't worry, I'll come to Heathrow. I've got nothing better to do. And... Uh, uh, so, uh, you know, I get in the car usually with him and it's normally, hi, how are you? How is your trip? Blah, blah, blah. Ten minutes later, okay, Tommy, tell me stories about revival. Then that's it. We're set for three hours and we're both in tears driving up the, uh, the M1. And um, he told me this one story about Edward Miller, the Argentinian revivalist who, who traveled to Australia. Now, uh, Edward Miller is, is a remarkable, largely unknown family that have sparked things like the Argentinian revival. And he's hardly known over here. I, I've heard of him because I studied him at Bible school. Um, but Tommy was like, you've heard of Ed Miller? Ed Miller's a friend of ours, so he's telling me these stories. Ed Miller went to a place where there had been revival 40 years before in Australia, and he turned up at this conference. He was invited to speak at this conference where there was now no revival, but it's where it happened 40 years before. And uh, Edward Miller, he's one of these characters that sometimes he's, he's more aware of the spirit than people. So people skills, not so much. And that, but, you know, Holy Spirit skills, amazing. And so he stands up to speak at this conference, and uh, it's, it's his session. He gets up, and it's the, he hasn't said anything yet, and he just stands there, and he just looks above the heads of the people. And suddenly it's like he can see something. And then he just says this line, are you still there? And it's like this move of God just fell out the heavens again, and a revival began again. You ever wondered what sits in the heavens above our heads while we all play church? Uh, there are various stories of encounters, and I, I'm not saying this is a news report now. I'm not, you know, collaborating. It's 
its truthfulness or anything like that, but I'm going to use it as a metaphor. Have you heard of the stories of people that have gone to heaven? And in, There are two different accounts of two different people, but remarkably similar. One is shown round heaven by Jesus. Another one is shown round heaven by an angel. But both of them in their different, and they would never met, but both of them in their different accounts, so let's use the picture, are shown around and shown into this warehouse in heaven where there is all these body parts. I mean, it sounds a bit gross to me, but anyway, all these you know, legs and arms and eyes and kidneys and all, and they're like, what, what are these? The person asks on both occasions, and Jesus and the angel give the same answer. Um, uh, these are uh, healings and body parts that haven't been received because people on earth won't believe for them. I mean, true, true or not, what an incredible picture, right? That there are things sat in heaven waiting to touch our lives. Um, if only we have the insight to realize the kingdom of God is at hand. Sometimes we're doing all this stuff and it just requires a, a, a moment in the spirit. The greatest enemy of spiritual you is fleshly you. Which one has won this week? There I am making friends again. Because every one of us faces a choice. So um, I really feel to stir up the church this morning. Is that okay? Oh. Uh, because church is not entertainment. Uh, you, you've not come to watch a show and you know, for us to critique how good the band were or weren't this morning and walk out having given them a number. And I watch people in worship. They don't worship anymore. They experience worship. Oh, that's the, oh, oh, Lizzie, that's the chord I like. Yes, just play that again. Oh, Matt, that's my favorite song. And it, it, it is essentially consumerism still, isn't it? It's me, me, me. But it shouldn't be, guys. And if we're going to live the real thing, church never used to look like this. All of you sat there looking at all of them stood there. And I was going, I wonder how they're doing this morning. And in our consumerism, we can lose what church is about. We're supposed to be making disciples, not spectators. Come on, somebody grunt with me. It's going to be one of those sorts of mornings. You've not come to be entertained. I would rather the church was slightly smaller but had actual disciples than it became an entertainment center. Um, I've been reading, and you're going to know where, if any of you read these books, you're going to like, okay, now I know how he's feeling. Francis Chan. Anybody heard of Francis? Oh, so I picked up his book called Letters to the Church. And as I picked it up, um, I, I was like, when do I start reading this? I was thinking, when do I fit it in with the other things that I want to do and other things that I'm studying? And I felt this little caution from God. He, he said, um, uh, that's really going to plow you up, was his words. And I'm like, oh, I don't know if I should read it yet. But unfortunately, I've read it. <laughs> the church in order to fill it, the things that we have to do these days. You know, let, let's shorten the meeting, you know, add a few nice lights, make the coffee better, make sure the kids' work is good. And it's like where the whole thing is, 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 is critiquing what we've tried to make church to refill it. Yeah. Yeah. Come on, work with me, right? And at some point, when does it become insulting to God? He, he, here's, a, here's a picture, another metaphor, another, another picture. He said, this is a line out of his book. He, he was saying, so if I said to my daughter, so if we just for your birthday had a little bit of food, how many of your friends would come? She said, oh, well, two, three, four of my close friends would come. Okay, so, 
but, but what if we hired, you know, a fairground attraction and a clown and a this and a that and the other? Oh, she said, oh, the whole school would come. He said, well, wouldn't it be insulting if I stood there looking at all the school enjoying your birthday party and said to them, look at all these people that have come to celebrate your birthday and to be with you. At what point is it actually offensive for me to pretend that they came for you and not the fairground ride? And sometimes with all the things that we have to do to get people to come to church or to a prayer meeting or to seek God or read the Bible or take God seriously, at what point do all the gimmicks actually become an insult to God? Well, I'll turn up if the candy floss is right. I'll turn up if the music's just right and the heating's just right and the seating's just right and it's at the right time. I mean, why don't we adjust our service time by, oh, I don't know, let's change the start time by one hour and 23 minutes and see it would freak out. Sometimes in our consumerist society, we are so taken by, well, is it good for me? When actually Jesus said, take up your cross, follow me, die daily. This whole thing is not about, well, how good can it be till I get to heaven? No, no, no. There are people in the world today celebrating their own death as they try to live for Jesus. If we die for him, it'll be an honor. I don't know about you. I find that so challenging. But we will gladly die for you, Jesus. We'll die for this truth. And the reality is even in this nation, persecution is coming. <laughs> it's already started. We already have to be careful what we say. If God's real, let's stop messing about. If God's real, he demands my devotion. Follow me and off I go. He demands that I die to my own desires. Well, the meeting wasn't quite true. Well, shut up then. Got a word from heaven for you. Shut up. I wonder what Jesus would say if he walked in today. This is incredible little, it's not even a chapter title in Francis's book, it's just this line, and it just carved me up. Listen to this phrase, ever so short, I wonder if it'll carve you up like it carves me up. Isn't God enough? It's got to be the right building, the right air conditioning, the right time, the right bus route, the right thing for my kids. I know there are practical considerations, you want to get your kids somewhere good because you want them to go on with God. But isn't God enough to get us to the prayer meeting? Isn't God enough for us to seek him every day? Isn't the cross enough for us to say, I need to read the Bible? If someone would do that for me, a sinner, how dare I cheapen grace by dancing through the tulips as if it's all about me. It's not all about you. This is me. Yes, let's kill you. (laughs) Crucify you with Christ. So your identity is only found in him. It's not about self-discovery. It's about discovering the Christ in us, which is the hope of glory. Okay, I don't know about you. I don't want to discover more of me. The more I discover, the more I realize I'm a bit of a plonker. Anybody else? I'm quite dysfunctional. Anybody discovered their dysfunction yet? You're pretending to be normal. Come and live with me three days. I'll tell you your dysfunction. (laughs) You're not that hot, never will be. 
And the instruction of the Bible is not to polish you up and make you amazing. It's die so that Christ lives in you. Die to your own passions, your own desires, your own longings, the flesh, the devil, and the world, and come and live for me, and it will become amazing. That's what the message is. So you can see I'm a bit stirred up. I'm supposed to be talking about prayer. How did it end up here? It's that blooming book, isn't it? It's got me. Uh, I do, have I got my, you, thank you, Lucy. Nice green trousers, Lucy, very cool trousers. I like their trousers. And um, what, what I hope to do, let's see if I can get there, is I want to talk for a bit and then we're going to pray for a bit. Is that okay? Then I'll talk for a bit and we'll pray for a bit. And, and I hope to leave you stirred up. Now, the reason some, some churches wouldn't do a workshop on a Sunday morning. Listen, church is not going to the theater. It's like turning up to a judo class. At some point, the instructor says, your turn, and you're the one to come out and get mashed on the carpet. Okay. Do you know what I mean? It's something you join in in. You don't just go, I go and watch and hope I get, you know, I, I walk away with it. Well, that was a nice movie, a nice theater. No, it's not that. My job is to train you to live a glorious life. That's the job of all of us, okay? We're making disciples so that we can get out there and touch the world. And I want to talk about steaming up your prayer life today, getting some fire into your prayer life. Because I tell you, when I was in Australia, at one point, I, uh, I've been in Australia last month, if you don't know, and we were kind of holiday midweek and then ministering in churches on the weekend and this the, the last weekend um, uh, I uh, ju just out of the blue suddenly my back went and I don't mean just a little bit of pain I mean I could not move anybody been there from uh, seating to stood I couldn't make that maneuver so three in the morning I'm pulling myself up chests of drawers and things like that and you know looking at Vicky snoring going it's all right for you I've got to minister in the morning as I try and go to the loo with everything aching um, but then we asked you guys for prayer and honestly the the effect this is a spiritual thing that we're in people the effect of your prayers to go from being unable to stand up to ministering for a full day the next day, fully being able to move around pain-free. The power of prayer is incredible. I wonder how many of us realize how much of our relationship dysfunction, our own grumpiness, work with me, anxiety, I wonder if we realize how much is spiritual. And actually we're kind of arched over with the weight of the devil on our shoulders. But actually if we learn to stand up and pray and what prayer was and how effective it is to pray for each other and all that it does. How much more powerful would it be in God if that's who we were? And so this month I really feel to stir up prayer. Is that okay? <sighs> it's powerful. It's powerful. And then what have we got here? I want to talk about the door for a bit this morning. Or in fact, I want to talk about two doors. And they're there in the book of Revelation. Prayer opens our doors to heaven. Look at this. In Revelation 4.1, uh, John is speaking and he's, he's, he's having an encounter with God. But I'm going to use the picture of, of what he saw. In Revelation 4.1, it says, after this, I, I looked and there before me was a door standing open in heaven um, Jesus died and a veil was torn in two everybody with me what does that mean that the veil between heaven and earth was torn 
And now there is access for, as Jesus taught us to pray, on earth as it is in heaven. Stuff from heaven, blessing, mercy, confidence, faith can be released from heaven into our lives today. But then just a few verses before that, it talks about another door. And then just a few verses apart, it says, here I am, I stand at the door and knock. It's Jesus speaking. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. There are two doors. Um, you know Tommy Tenney saying, are you still there? I don't believe God's door was closed. I believe their door was. Are you getting the picture? Jesus opened heaven's door. You don't need to pray for an open heaven. His blood bought an open heaven. But we live with closed doors. And I want to bash open some doors this morning. Is that all right? Come on. And, and I wonder, just to throw another verse at this, Jesus says, when you pray, in, in the context of the Our Father, he's teaching his disciples to pray. Because they came to him, seeing the, the potency of his life, and said, kind of, how do you do that? So he said, well, let me teach you how to pray. Prayer is where all this comes from. If we don't activate our spirituality through prayer, then all the preaching becomes theory, but not practice. And Jesus said, go into your room and shut the door. W work with me for a minute. Your life has a door this side to the world, and it has a door this side to heaven. Many of us leave this one closed and this one open. And the TV is blaring at us, and social media is blaring at us, and politics is blaring at us, and who knows, the news is trying to create so much fear. There's fear blaring at us. Jesus said, when you pray, go into your room and shut the door. But then there's another verse. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone will open this heavenly divine door, if anyone will step from being a fleshly person to a spiritual person, I will come in and I will feast with them. Now, a feast is a thing of high-level friendship in the Bible. We're talking Near Eastern culture here. When Jesus says, I want to come in and feast with you, it means I want to be your friend. I want to pour out something from my life into your life. It is a powerful thing to feast. My question is, how's this door and how's this door in your life? Because can you hear it? Come on, it's really easy to make, and to make any congregation feel guilty about prayer. We all know that. Is that okay? Turn around, say to the person next to you, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. It's going to be all right. To, to, turn to them and say, none of us are very good at prayer. Okay? So let, let's deal with those myths to begin with. Shall I tell you why? Because condemnation and guilt will actually leave the door closed, not open. Now, there was a time when we thought, let's make him feel so guilty that something, I've found that actually just grinding people into the dirt over what they're not good at only ever drives them from God. Because eventually we just go, well, I'm not good at this. I give up. So I have a, I, 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 just like the demons, I believe Jesus is real, but he has no effect on my life. So none of us are very good at this. So just work with me. Don't go to your religious place, your guilty place, your... No, every one of you were wired to pray. Didn't you? You might not be wired to pray like me, and I'm not wired to pray like you, but you are wired for relationship with God. You got, you got this. So stop comparing and creating guilt. 
What I am saying to every one of you right now, wherever your relationship's at, Jesus. We feel it. And this morning, (laughs) he's saying, I just want you to open up. To do that, you first need to close that door. You ever gone through those doors in, in the airports when you have to come through and that door needs to close before they'll let you through this one? They are connected. Because you can't have a mixed life. This is, why, this is why ultimately you have to take up your cross and close that door. And go, okay, I have to shut out some noise. It's what fasting does. Whether you do it with food or social media or, or leisure time, you know, I've, I've known people with times in their life with extreme pressure where they, they create a culture of going to the cinema four times a week. Nothing unscriptural or wrong about it, but if it becomes something that fills your life and this door is always open and this one is never open, Christianity will be theory. Open the door. Open the door. I'm not even going to tell you how long to open it for in the sense of your prayer life. Because for some of you, five minutes is going to make a world of difference. The devil will tell you, if I can't do an hour a day, I'm not even going to bother. Because, you know, no, no, listen, I tell you, God has a way of accelerating the depth of the small things we do. You begin to open it for five minutes a day if you do nothing at the moment. It will transform you. Some of you, your door used to be open. But the hinges need some WD-40. Come on, you used to be the prayer all night type people. You used to be the, uh, yeah, I pray and fast. You used to be, yes, I work my, my way into be a man or a woman of the spirit, but got a bit rusty and a bit dusty and a bit stuck. Well, I'm coming with some WD-40 today. Now, where all of this begins, first lesson, we might only get one in today. I don't know, let's see. But I'm on the next three weeks, so the crowd will be a lot thinner next week. <laughs> If you stick it, you'll be grateful because what I'm, what I'm teaching you kids can do, so you're well up for it. And I will not make you feel guilty. I want to make you feel empowered. Okay, if you've got something that you feel convicted about that you need to bring to Jesus, then do. If you've been lazy in prayer, just tell him, I've been lazy in prayer, right. Get your blowtorch on my heart, fire me up and let's, come on. He died to open that door. The first thing that opens the door of our own hearts to his incredible presence is longing. Everybody say longing. God doesn't meet us because of need. He meets us because of longing. If he met us because of need, I mean, all of Africa's needs will be met. All of the third world's needs will be met. Um, Have you noticed that God won't always turn up and solve something just because there's a problem? He he turns up and solves things because there's, there's longing. It's why this phrase rings in my ears, isn't God enough? We're so full of fast food, spiritually speaking. Something needs to stir in us again, the longing of God. You'll find through the pages of the Bible that God can be silent for decades, sometimes even hundreds of years, 
until you get a, a verse like, and man began to call on the name of the Lord. And it's almost like there's, there's, there's ripples on the Jurassic Park water of heaven. Do you know what I mean? Because God is like, oh, somebody is longing for me. Right, right. I will, where there's longing, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. You know the verse? Is it 2 Chronicles 7? 14, something like that. And it says, and seek my face. The word literally means, and crave my face. Do you crave God's presence or face? It's the same word in the Bible. Do you crave God's presence? Crave. Crave. Let me see if I can find this verse. Where was it? Scribbled it down. I think it's Matthew 10. Listen to this. You ready? Do uh, you, you know, you get it a lot on social media. People say things like, oh, Jesus was just loving and inclusive. And you're like, well, they've never read these words then. They're probably reading about three verses from the Bible. Listen to this. This is Jesus talking. It's Matthew chapter 10, verse 37. Are you ready? This is one of those over-the-top bits. I might do a sermon series soon called All the Worst Verses in the Bible. <laughs> this will be one of them. Are you ready? Because this is one where you sit going, oh, Jesus, I think I'm going to become a Buddhist. Do you know what I mean? It's one of those where you, good heavens. Matthew 10, verse 37. Anyone who loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves his son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And anyone who does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Wow. There's other passage where he talks about hating, doesn't he? He, go, he uses hyperbole. He's, he's stretching us into that. I want you to get how important this is. So he uses the strong words like hate and love. If you love more than me, it literally means it's the word there. It isn't the, 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 the God type love. This is the affection, emotion love. If you affection, emotion, people more than God, you're not worthy of Jesus. I think of how Vicky or my parents or Zach and my love for them can move me to tears. <laughs> Careful. <laughs> to uh, anxiety can be an expression of love, right? You ever, you ever, when's the last time you emotionally lost it in love for God? Tears streaming down your face. Remember falling in love, can't eat, can't sleep. And all you think about is the person. Some of you are like, no. Okay. Marriage counseling comes next week. We'll start that next week. Can you, you've lost your first love is the, is the line from do what you did at first. And it, it is important, according to Jesus, to get the affection back. The affection not just the robust commitment love, but the affection. Not, well, darling, I told you that I loved you 10 years ago when we married and all my wealth is yours and it still is. No, this is affection. I love you. In our house, we probably say I love you to each other about 12 times a day. I love you. Do I say to Jesus, I love you. I just love you. 
You are enough. You are enough. If you didn't fill my bank account with good things or cancel my debts or heal my body, I'd still say, you're enough. If you didn't make my ministry a success, I'd still say, you're enough. If I ended up on a desert island with, with, with nothing to show for my life, you're still enough. You're still enough. Or with the whole realm of nature mine, that were an offering far too small. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. You're enough, Jesus. You're enough to turn up to the prayer meeting. You're enough for me to open my Bible. You're enough for me to give you my devotion. The song doesn't have to be right for me to sing at the top of my lungs that I love you. I love you. I love you. And thank you for dying for me. Thank you for remembering me. Thank you for wanting to be part of my life isn't God enough longing he's saying if you love things if your affections and your tears and your time and your fidgeting to go and do so and so or this or that if you love football more than me I'll be hard for some people I know doesn't trouble me at all it might be food more than me it might be the thing that I cry over more Every one of us have got loves. And you know, the first three years of the first flush of salvation are easy, right? But 50 years in, do you still shed a tear over the remembrance of the cross? Am I enough? Wow. Longing. When he came, it wasn't become an attender of a church, sing a few songs. We think the transaction is this, I come, I get saved. I sing songs, I, I tithe, I'm pretty good at it, you know. And Jesus didn't come preaching that gospel. He came saying, I, church isn't the way, he said, I am the way. Absolute devotion to me. Follow me. What will that require? Deny your dreams at times. Deny your family at times. Deny your wealth at times. Deny all the stuff that would fill you, especially in our generation more than any other. In Jesus' day, it's quite easy to garner a crowd because they weren't competing with Britain's Got Talent. Do you know what I mean? It's like that today. You go to Africa, you put up a platform in the middle where there's not a lot of entertainment going on. You can get a crowd of a few thousand people doing nothing. I remember once we were off-roading around Morocco, we, we got a puncture, and there's not, not, a, not a person in sight for miles around in the middle of uh, the Atlas Mountains, and, and, then, uh, uh, and then you're there for about 20 minutes fixing a puncture, and you've got a crowd of 50 people around you. Where did they come from? <laughs> I mean, you know, I, when I was growing up, the world was so bored, we played with cardboard boxes. Anybody else with me? <laughs> Today, we are entertained out of our brains. Moses, no, jet lag speaking, Noah, that was the guy. <laughs> when Noah led the children of Israel out of Egypt, you know what I mean? <laughs> it's even worse when it's a prophecy, isn't it? You know what I mean? Like, okay, I really think that's not of God then, you know. <laughs> Noah, when, when the world was flooded, he, he sends out a raven, was it? I'm ad-libbing, he sends out a raven, I think it was, and... But the, and then he sends out a dove and the dove, I think I'm right, flew around a bit and came back and sent out a dove again. You know what I'm saying? 
God keeps sending out his dove. Sent out a dove again and evidently there were some branches sticking out of the water and green shoots were beginning to grow on the branches as the, the waters were slowly receding. And so the dove landed, plucked a little leaf and brought it back. And um, then the third time he sent the dove out and the dove never came back because it found a land to live in. When our lives are full of the waters of worldliness, he can't find a land to live in. Many of us learn to this, live at this level. The waters are half receded. I'm a half decent Christian. And every Sunday morning, our branches stick in the air and we feel the flutter and we go, ah, everything must, okay, must be okay. I felt him. And he visits, but he doesn't live. There's an emptying of ourselves that needs to take place for longing to rise. Even when I talk about longing, I have no doubt because I've been in exactly the same situation. When I use words like that, some of you in this room undoubtedly are going to be sitting there going, oh boy, I'm trying to remember what longing felt like for God. You know, to mean some of you are like Cameron Diaz in the holiday trying to work up a tear. Oh, he's, he's emotional. Let me see. Come on, come on. I love you, G. I'm sure I love you. I'm sure I... Because we get so full of stuff, don't we? I mean, I hate it when dullness smothers me and I have to begin to empty myself to open the door. Say, God, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm so, I'm so full of this and so full of that. And, so, you know, I'm, I'm, and some of it's good stuff, but it just fills us up and we lose our longing. I love, oh, we got Bill and Edie there at the back. We love you, Bill and Edie. You sit and have a breakfast with Bill. And you talk about God for a few minutes. How old are you, Bill? You can take it down a bit if you want. Just slightly over 21. And you, come on, some of you have been there. Bill talks to you about Jesus and he just starts crying. Why? Because he's empty enough for the dove to live. The door is open. He's living as we're supposed to live, one foot in heaven, one foot on earth. I know how to close that door. I know how to open this one. And I'm empty enough to feel the longing. The longing opens the door. And I'm no doubt, and I don't want you to feel inappropriately guilty about it, but you know, convicted. That just means convinced that something needs to change. Um, that God, just lift the dullness out of me Lift the loss of affection for you. Lift, lift out of me the loss of awe over the cross and all that you've done, that you would die for me, a sinner, so that I could be in relationship with you. And as the waters recede, the affection returns and the dove returns too. And I, I think maybe that's the only thing we're gonna do this morning. Is that all right? I had six things to do. But I think God's speaking to us. What I want us to do in a few moments is I want us to, to pray. And what I want us, I want us to empty ourselves of all the things that get in the way of our longing. Because I know this, this is the science of how you were designed. 
when you have enough emptiness in you, your affection for God rises and you begin to open the door in prayer. Sorry, God, I forgot. I need you. This isn't religion. Sorry, God, I got bored. You're even allowed to say, I'm really sorry. Jared's been a bit boring lately. God, I've not been very inspired. God, inspire me. If the fire's gone, let the blowtorch of heaven get on your heart. Fire doesn't come from within us as in our own strength. It comes from within us as in our connection to God. That's where the fire comes from. And the way it begins to burn in us again is as we empty ourselves of all the things, the fear, the anxiety, identity, politics, whatever's taken up your time. Could be ministry, but you could be far from God. One of the most dangerous places to be is in ministry. The backsliding rate is incredible because I'm paid to work for God and I forget to cry with God and play with God and enjoy God and sing to God. So can we do that? We might just have a bit of a revival on our hands. I just want us to pray and just let our longing arise. Now in the olden days we'd call this repentance, but we won't call it that, will we? We'll just call it repentance. Is that all right? We'll just... <laughs> and it means this. I know I'm facing this way. I'm, fa- I'm closing that door, facing this way. And I'm going to get my praying in order. Even if it's for five minutes a day, I'm going to start to spend time with God. I'm going to open up that Bible. Listen, actually, one of the worst things you can do is go, right, I'm going to read 20 chapters a day. Don't make silly fleshly goals unless that really is your personality to enjoy that kind of thing, right? Let me tell you, you will get more skim reading and waiting for the, for the verse that leaps off the page and suddenly you go, food, food. See, he wants to come in and feast with you and you will get more from one phrase and you, you, you chew on it through the day and as you do, it begins to live in you. The word becomes flesh and suddenly you go, ah, it's revelation, not information. So it's not about quantity, it's about quality and it's about relationship. Is that okay?